cliffcentral.com. Yes, indeed. It is time for the Burning Platform, which is brought to you by Nando's. Every single week here on cliffcentral.com, we are joined by one or two people who have some really deep insights or some very powerful opinions to share with us. And this morning is no different. As usual, I'm joined by my uh, my co-conspirator in the uh, the plot, Pumi Mashiko. And this morning, we also have Pumlani Majozi. So, Pumlani, it's nice to have you back on the show. Let me remind everybody who you are. Pumlani is a senior fellow at African Liberty, Africa's premier platform for advancing economic freedom and individual liberty. He's also a commentator on politics, economics, and global affairs, and you can follow him, especially if you have a good uh, stomach. It gets quite hairy out there, but you can follow Pumlani if you like If you like a bit of controversy online. I mean, Pumlani, you not a week goes by where I don't see you fighting with some communist on uh, on Twitter, it, it, it's tough being you, man. You're, you're a busy man, right? You know, a friend of mine um, <laughs> once said to me, "You need to make sure that you don't ever publish your private residency address." Yeah, you know, exactly. Always remain private because I mean, you could get uh, you could get attacked. And he was right. You know, people have said nasty things before, so. Um, uh, I'll just make sure that nobody knows. Well, I hope you guys don't see where I stay right now, so you can't track that. <laughs> <laughs> there's probably there's probably some um, technocrat currently googling to see what your ISP is and trying to zone in on where you are. So, all right, Pumi, yeah. um, Pumi and I had a really interesting uh, discussion last week with a, an academic called Dr. Dabiseng Muleko, and uh, we got into some quite interesting discussions. She's very much from the theoretical side of things. I would. I would venture to say that your take on things is sometimes probably a little more pragmatic because you're dealing with, with people who run their own little businesses. You're talking to people in the community who are, who are dealing with actual problems on a day-to-day basis. But it's important that we also pay attention to what the universities are churning out, much as it may be theoretical, because otherwise we wouldn't have an idea of what the options out there are. Tell us a little bit just to remind people what African Liberty does so that we, we can figure out what your theoretical platform is before we get into the practicalities of what's going on in South Africa this week. African Liberty is a, uh, a branch or a uh, sort of a division of Students for Liberty, right? Students for Liberty is an organization that was started um, in America, uh, in Washington, D.C., if I'm not mistaken, um, about... It's almost almost 15 years now since we started them. And the idea was that in America, there has to be some sort of a, a push um, in university campuses, uh, a push on, 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 market, on markets, individual freedom, free trade, all the things that characterized, uh, characterize a free society. So that, that organization was started by students uh, and it spread out across um, university campuses in the U.S. And then over time, there was one guy, a great friend of mine, uh, who is a Nigerian, Olumayowa Oketiran. He sort of um, saw what he was a student back then and then reached out to some of the Students for Liberty guys in the U.S., and, you know, spoke to them if you could start an Africa version of the same thing, right? Where, you know, campus students, they mobilize and they, they, they sort of, uh, you know, uh, push for individual freedom. He started that um, years back and it also came to South Africa. We had a few guys who worked uh, in, in a few campuses. One guy was at <laughs> Pretoria and then at one point there was one guy at UCT who was sort of uh, mobilizing. But South Africa was even more difficult uh, because of you know, hostility, hostility towards, toward the ideas of, of mm-hmm. markets. And, um, Afghan Liberty sort of was started as something that should, to be a platform for people who have already left university, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people like us, uh, who were young professionals who would continue to be engaged on the ideas of freedom, to research, to write on how we can make Africa sort of a pro-market and a, a, pro, a pro-individual a society. So that's what we, we try and do. We try and be pragmatic, but we are driven by um, individual freedom. Right. right. The state can't do whatever it wants with you uh, as an individual. Uh, your rights, individual rights must be respected um, and, you know, must be... Prioritized. You know, if, 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 
We should take a job, take it. Uh, don't be stopped by the minimum wage. Yeah. <laughs> the law says well, we, it. We'll talk about some of these practicalities in a moment. But Pumi, I know that you always watch. Uh, Pumi is is uh, really the biggest fan of the Zondo Commission, <laughs> and it hasn't been it hasn't been a boring week there either. It never is. And we'll, we'll talk in a moment about some of the things that Pumlani wants to touch on, you know, the, the, the situation in Mozambique, which is concerning to all of us, <laughs> the high petrol prices, which are coming up, and uh, unemployment. We'll get to those just now. But, but Pums, there are some things going on in the news this week that I know you wanted to touch on. Do you want to introduce those straight away? Dude, the Zondo, the Zondo Commission has degenerated. Over the past couple of weeks, it has, it has become such a... You know, I think it's it's kind of like when you're at the end of a season of a TV show mm-hmm. and you're just like, this plot, this has got to come to an end now. The plot is gone. <laughs> Everything that you loved about this thing has come to an end. That's where we are with Zondo. You know, things have degenerated so much at the commission right now. Nothing, nothing is... Nothing is fun anymore. Nothing is. I think everything that's when, been when do you aired think, has when, been When do you aired. think it started to go down? I mean, was this the Dalimpofu Pravin Gordon fight? No, I mean the Dalimpofu and Pravin Gordon fight has been ongoing for a while, and we. I think anybody could see that this is how this thing is going to go and where it's going to go to. Um, but in that moment, DCJ lost control of the room. Dali was throwing his toys and and unfortunately you know for Dali is he has now become like a one trick pony you kind of know oh he's going to shout racism oh that's where he's going to go with this you, mm. and and his losing his temper in that way shows exactly how how much out of control he had also been because i think for a lawyer to to be that emotional about anything shows that he's no longer thinking as we all know when you when you get emotional in a situation you stop thinking because now you you've been rattled and his cage was rattled and then the dcj lost control of it you know trying to control dali trying to oh it's a mess it's a mess it's got to end now we're done but I, i also think it's very sad that that um, Cyril is now been drawn into having to come and sit here for three days, and and account for you know goodness knows what. It's just well, it's I mean, let's just let's just go to the ANC because there was quite a big announcement this week. Um, ANC Secretary General Ace Marashule on Wednesday said that the party must be given time and space to do its work, has refused to be drawn into commenting on whether he will step aside from his role in the next 30, 30 days. But it was basically decided mm-hmm. by the ANC in the NEC meeting over the weekend that they want people who are involved in nefarious activities and people who are, uh, are, are guilty of crimes or have been charged with crimes to step aside in the next 30 days. Do you think, either of you, Pumlani or Pumi, that anything will happen there? Do you think that this is all just grandstanding and party politics at its very worst, and it will result in nothing? I mean, we know the ANC is broken and fractured. There isn't a single commentator we've had on in the past year and a half Mm -hmm. who said, oh, no, 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 the ANC is in perfectly good condition. They'll survive this. They're going to be fine. Are we starting to see ever deeper cracks? And is this an indication of the fact that these cracks cannot be polyfilled over? Well, um, let me start on that one. Um, it is party politics. Uh, it's um, factional battles of, uh, of the ANC. And the big question, which you've just raised, is uh, will he step down in mm. these 30 days that he has been he has given? Um and for me, I don't see any other option. If he were to take a route, um, it would it would be a court process, right? But we saw this week he himself dismissed that. He said, you know, the political issues of the ANC cannot be resolved uh, via the court, right? Because remember, the National Executive Committee is the highest decision making of the ANC. Right. Mm-hmm. So if they issued a decision to say within 30 days, all of those, not only Ace Makashule, but all of those, are to, uh, you know, charged with corruption, they must step aside. He has to comply with that. Otherwise, his only option would be a court process uh, of which could, I don't know what to do, uh, just invalidate the whole thing, raise whatever legal argument he could raise in the court to 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 push back against that. 
but from an internal process of the NC, the NEC has decided um, that this needs to be done. Uh, he can't, he can't change, he can't change that, um, that 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 decision. Um, it's hard for me to see him staying even more, even though the the you know the decision was issued. It's difficult. I, 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 it would be something very destructive, and it would end up. He would be suspended, and if he forces to come to office. Um, if it comes by force, and then security would be used to to push him out, so it would get more nasty. So I don't think he will. I think he will step aside if it doesn't go to court, of course. Holmes, what do you have to say about? And speaking this? of court processes, hmm. yesterday the judgment also came out about the PEC in the Free State. Yes, also big, big story. It's a stronghold. That big story, you know. So even the court processes are, are showing that. With the ANC has failed to resolve internally, has failed to resolve their problems, and they've gone to uh, court, as has happened in the in the thing in the Free State. The court has also then upheld that actually this PEC, which has a has an implication for ACE as well, because mm-hmm. the Free State being ACE's hometown, being ACE's home province, is is a very big stronghold for him. I think. You, you know, so we in our business we have this thing where we with um, businesses where we look at the DNA of a business and what happens in organizations in old organizations from the founders down to the people that are currently leading it. The ANC over a hundred years old is in that same position. You mm-hmm. know, the the DNA of the organization has replicated itself very badly. And what we see now is we see now a an executive that has has veered so far away from what the founding fathers of the organization intended for this thing. And and unfortunately, I mean I've been saying for the longest time that the ANC is done. The ANC that that people believed in, the ANC that was founded all those many years ago, no longer exists. The animal that we are left with now doesn't stand for the things that that we always thought the ANC stood for, and this is what you're seeing: these these factional fights, and the the, the politicking and the ugliness of it mm-hmm. is just the the last of it. It's gasping for breath. It's like when when no. the animal is gasping for breath at the end. Now, both of you have probably got a a view on this. So it's something that came up in those discussions. Machashule said he's prepared to meet with former leaders. Of course, he brought up Jacob Zuma first because he knows he'll find a a warm embrace in the the arms of Jacob Zuma. I mean, Jacob Zuma's really... I don't think so. You don't think so? Not Ace? No. No. Oh, really? No, I don't think so. Do you want to just give us... But of course, everybody everybody uses Jacob Zuma because now Jacob Zuma is seen as this person. You know, if you look at the body language of all the the pictures that we've seen of people going to see see Jacob Zuma over the past couple of weeks, do you see a warm and fuzzy old man welcoming home prodigal sons? Yeah, we mustn't forget. We must forget. These are the the people who betrayed him at the end of his uh, his time. And I don't think if you look at his body language and you look at the way that he's interacting with these guys, it's not a you know Hmm. warm embrace. Maybe you maybe welcoming home the prodigal sons. Correct me, okay? What do you want to say, Pumlani? I wouldn't be surprised if he had straight to Nkandla to meet Jacob Zuma. And in fact, he, he said he's going to meet, uh, uh, what is it, uh, previous leaders of the NC. Mm. I think Matthews Posa as well would be mm. one of those people. Um, I, I won't be surprised. I think that the Zuma thing is going to We are just, these politicians are manipulating us. Well, some of them are people who were Zuma's enemies a few years back. Julius Malema was one. Mm. He dislodged. He was instrumental in dislodging Zuma. Suddenly now he goes there in a weird way that seemed friendly. And people were like, is this a new alliance <laughs> in South Africa's politics? So um, I won't be surprised if, he go, surprised if he goes there. But it would be more about symbolism, right? We've seen these guys who are sort of charged with corruption, who have the dirty names, sort of are mobilizing and coalescing together, right? Wherever there's a Zuma case, you'd see Karl Niehaus, you'd see 
all this uh, Supra Mahuma Pelo, mm. you know, all these guys, mm. you know, Musebenzi Shwane, you see them all, all these, these guys who have dirty names, they are mobilizing as a faction in the NC, and for some, they're, they're in an effort to try and push back well, of against course. Um, I mean, uh, the no one, faction. No so one, surprising. I think Nobody else will have them. And, and the other person who'd probably join that coalition of the disaffected is, is probably um, Zandile Gumete from uh, Etequini, who's really, she's covered herself in glory, hasn't she? She's like one of, <laughs> one of the best examples of the worst. Um, she's apparently been called on for removal by the ANC in KwaZulu-Natal. Sorry, the, the DA has called for her removal. I mean, as if the DA are going to influence anything in the ANC. <laughs> but um, but they're saying uh, the, the NEC decision that all members facing corruption and other serious charges must step aside from roles, that means she's included, right? And she should probably have to go. She and 21 others face over 2,000 counts of fraud, corruption, and money laundering. Oh, she's not messing around. And don't forget that in in, in KZN, there is also a, a court judgment about the constitutional um, rights that those that PEC also has. Because again, <laughs> the PEC yeah. conference in KZN, there was there was a, a, a real fight and a real struggle as to who is ascending <laughs> to that PEC and whether they had enough of a quorum to be voted in. All of that. You know, so the internal battles that are mm. spilling into the outside. But I think that the, the, the really important thing is we must not be distracted. Us on the outside, the South Africans, is we mustn't get drawn into the party politics as much as the party politics has a role to play in, in the bigger South African context, we actually have a much bigger problem. And our problems are economic, our problems are joblessness, our, mm. you know, our problems are, are way bigger. And the sideshow yeah. and smoke and mirrors that keeps taking our attention away makes us stop thinking about the things that we really need to be thinking about and the problems we need to be solving because we're so glued to well, the to the spectacle. You I, see, yeah, one of the one of the very stunning things, um, Gareth, uh, is that it, it, it's it, it's the arrogance of the ANC, the disrespect uh, of the of the ANC uh, to toward to toward us as citizens. Most people disrespect us, right? They are so arrogant because they put they put Zandile um, Kumete in in the legislature in case and when there were already noises around her corruption. Right. Mm. The process was already in place. Yet still, they chose to put her in, in the provincial parliament. Um, that alone tells you how arrogant and disrespectful uh, NC has become. Right. And uh, Pumi is right to speak about the fact that we are in NC as sensitive, right? It's, it's not only lost it in terms of reputation or public policy, which we'll get into in a few minutes. It's also lost it in terms of support, right? When you look at the NC has been on a long-term or in a long-term decline, right? They've mm. been declining uh, and they will continue to decline. Um, and of course, the worst when they decline further is that well, we are likely to, to see a coalition between them and the EFF. We sink South Africa even further. Well, so, I mean, um, obviously, yeah. when, when someone's back is against the wall, they, they start to uh, misbehave even more than usual. But I want to go back to what Pumi said just now, because I think I'm always very concerned that this show becomes one of those places where we talk about the politics because it makes us sound like we're smart and we're on top of things. But the real story, the story that affects most South Africans is a lot simpler and doesn't have to do with party politics, doesn't have to do with factionalism, doesn't have to do with these incidents of corruption. You're quite right, Pums, and it even came up on my TV show last night when I think Howard Saxstein said, most South Africans are more concerned about the rands and cents of their own lives. And I know this is something you and Pumlani both care about. So let's go straight to that, because maybe anyone listening right now is sick of hearing about internal coalitions and factions within these parties oh, the ends get worse, eh? yeah so let's let's actually let's try to talk about things that that really affect people record high petrol prices and this is obviously very very bad pumlani you've just written about this for the the local economy government taxes have added to the increase in petrol prices and for many people who think that if the government can just increase taxes 
they'll be able to pay for more and will make people's lives better. Do you want to just disassemble in your own words why you think that's a bad idea? Well, it's a bad idea because, first of all, we do know how how government misspends taxpayers' money, right? We see it misspending with failing SOEs. We see it misspending in, in inefficient programs. We see a big chunk of it being, um, you know, it's called irregular expenditure, right? We see mismanagement of taxpayers' fund within 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 government. Um, so for, for, for us to take that little um, money, right, that a person in the Soweto Township, right, in Umlazi Township, in, um, you know, Kwamashu Township, in Stenger Townships, where I come from, to take, you know, um, a percentage of that, um, the money that they could spend to better their families, to take it and give it to government. Yeah. And at the same time, at the end of the day, the return on that is almost dismal because they have these terrible roads, everything is just terrible. You know, the healthcare is in terrible shape. Uh, the police services are terrible themselves. So, I mean, we are taking money that could be more productive by pe- people keeping it uh, for themselves and spending it as they see fit, and then you transfer it to bureaucrats, political bureaucrats, right, who will make decisions that aren't really going to be more effective if the money was left in the hands of, of, of those households or individuals. So that's, that, that's the issue with that, with that process, right? And with this, uh, and you've just mentioned now about 40%. That's, that's close to, that's, that's close to half, by the way, 40% mm. of about 40% of this petrol price is government taxes, right? And government is take, taxing us in an economy that grows at, it's well, it contracted last year. But before that, we we're growing at less than 1%. Uh, there's no growth. You are also taxing people. You have more than 11 million people who don't have jobs, right? But then you put the additional taxes on them. Do you think their lives will progress, right, if you make it expensive for them to take a taxi from Soweto to job back to look for a job or to do anything? Because all these taxes will transfer into those costs, the transport costs for those people. So... um so it's damaging and it's not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the, 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 these taxes, I think they were damaging. It's something that I did in favor in uh, Tito Mboweni's previous budget speech that was, uh, you know, highly washed. I did in favor it and I did, uh, you know, say that it's a bad idea. Um, you want to add anything to that, Pums? You know my feelings about pain. <laughs> um, this is where we must cant and say defund the bastards. <laughs> but I think that, the, you know, so the reality of you can you can add more taxes, but the reality is the money does not exist. People are not working. Therefore, they don't have the money to pay the taxes. It's just a notation that you've got that says, here we go, we're going to add another percentage to VAT. We're going to do this and that. But it really, it's people just are not spending less because they are saving that money or because they are keeping the money away from government. People are spending less because there is less money for them to spend. Right. Yeah. And it's, I know it's counterintuitive, but what the government needs to do in this in this situation is they actually need to release money. They need to, in order to, to stimulate spending, mm-hmm. they need to tax us less. They need to, to release more avenues for money. And, and that's what stimulus is, right? Coming from the government is tax us less, put more, uh, more money into the system, you know, spend more of what they do have. So tax us less and spend more of what they do have and not spend it on salaries, not spend it on their own salaries. Yeah, but how, how are you ever going to get, <laughs> how are we ever going to get the, the government to spend less on the bureaucracy, Pums? I mean, that, that's also where their political support comes from. Hmm. And the unions will never allow that, and they're in bed with the unions. It's a zero And win. that's why we love democracy, I right? Mean, that's why we love democracy, because what democracy gives us is it gives us a chance every four years or so to change the government. It gives us a chance to change the government. But you are the first one to say, Self-correct. And, and, and I agree with you on this, to who? Who are we going to change the government to? It's not like we've got great options there. Um, so, Pumlani, do you agree that, you know, that we've got to maybe go to the polls and, and have an attitude to change? And if so, change to what? Well, it's a democracy, right? Um, 
and the people we have in power, the people who are mismanaging the economy, the people who have instituted what is called the Gupta the Gupta network that we've seen over the past years, um, the people who have mismanaged education, it's people who've voted into power, right? The democracy. Therefore, we can change. Uh, we can go in the next election and choose other people. Your question is, who are those people? Well, I've been blunt about this, right? I don't do political correctness, in my view. I say it as I see it. I think the DA needs to be given an opportunity. And when I say that, I'm accused of supporting the DA, and I'm being told, well, they're racist and so on, all silly accusations, at least in my view. So the DA is a good, would be an alternative, and I think their policies are less hostile to business. For me, I want business to thrive in South Africa, right? Mm. They are less hostile to business, um, and in my view, they are less levels of corruption in the party uh, compared to other parties. They, there's no perfect party, correct? You can't have a perfect politician, right? But I think relatively, I think the DA is better. So I've been blunt about that. I don't, you know, hide behind my thumb or whatever. And then there's also Herman Mashaba I've spoken about. I think he, I like him. He has an inspiring story, right? Though some people are concerned about the fallout he had with the DA. But for me, I think given the, the state of the country of where we are, we are and the ideas we need, it's the ideas that are more of Mashaba and the DA that we need in the country. This left-wing sort of socialist thinking that has existed for the past 25 years of our democracy is weakened, right? We need to weaken that. And therefore, the more voices that are pro-business and voices that can that see that we need a market-driven economy to get 11 million people unemployed back into work. So those are the ideas we need. And the strength well, we give to, to the DA and Mashab, I think, would be quite well, beneficial I, for the country. I'm going to give Pumi a right to reply because I know that she, <laughs> she bristles she, she bristles at any mention of Herman Mashaba's name. But uh, before you say that, I don't want policies that are pro-big business. I would like to see more policies that are pro-small business. I'd like to see a government that actually frees up the economy to allow small operators to run everything from a little stall on the side of the road that sells mohodu right through to people who've got you know large uh, multi-store chains all across the country or whatever it might be that that, that people are doing to get themselves some and the money. EFF can't do that no the EFF can't do I don't think any political party can do that and I think we've got to be very realistic yeah. about this any any party that promises you they're going to give you things or they're going to create um, the perfect environment for you to do business in. It's just lying. None of them can do that. But the less government get in your way, the better things will be for people in small businesses. And I can say that to, 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 to Pumi and I anyway, because we're, we're trying to do that stuff. Now, Pums, your chance to say why you would not support Herman Mashaba. <laughs> I will do no such thing. I will not be dragged into <laughs> bad-mouthing other people. I will say this, that what we need is we need, we need ideas. We need parties uh, that have ideas, that tell us what their ideas are so we can believe them. Unfortunately, what we do see is we see a lot of the opposition parties telling us what they hate about the ANC and what the ANC is getting wrong and mm -hmm. what the ANC should be doing better. They're not talking to us about. And, and, and part of that, I mean, there's a lot of talk about electoral reform. As you know, there, there was, um, the constitutional court ruling about independence being able to for South Africans being able to vote directly for an independent representative yep. um, as president to the country, not just in the party system. All of those things, for me, keep telling me that what the opposition parties, unlike what Pumulani believes in, that the opposition parties are passively saying they cannot take on the ANC. Therefore, they must change the way the game plays. Seems we may have we may have lost you there, Pums. Okay, I'm here. Okay. Can, can I see other people on my screen? So on my screen right now, it's like looking at a mirror. We can, Thank we, you. Yeah, we can. See, we can <laughs> see you. And it's crazy because I don't know if you are still there. Okay, no, no, cool. no. So every time it goes like that, I've just put you on the main screen because. Um... Please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's go to something else because th there are also things happening. You could call it international, but it's right on our doorstep. Things that I know are of concern okay. to all of us. We, we spoke about the ISIS-linked terrorists in Mozambique, and I think that it's, it's very stupid of us if we just 
hide our heads in the sand and go, oh, well, it's still too far away. It's not that far away. And these people could be on our, on our very front stoop, so to speak, in the next couple of months if we, if we don't take care and we don't take an interest in the affairs of, of Mozambique. And I know that many South Africans are thinking about this, but they're not thinking about it seriously. And I doubt very much that we have a defense department that is capable of dealing with external... Oh, but Kalini has... But Kalinus is taking a special branch of the MKVA out there. Yeah, to go to Nkandla. Did you not see this? To go to Nkandla to you support know, Jacob Zuma. To Mozambique. Oh, really? Tell me what's Did happening. Did you not see this on the no. news? I, anytime, Did you not see anytime this on Carl, the news? No, no. Anytime Carl Niehaus comes up on the news, I tune out. I just assume it's stupid. What Carl Niehaus in his like in, in his in his fades in his military fades that I don't know where they belong to. He was interviewed saying he's taking a special a, a special detachment of the MKVA out into Mozambique to you know to go deal with the situation in Mozambique. Oh wow! It was on the news yesterday. Okay, this is news to me. Um, so, so in many ways, <laughs> I'm surprised. So tell me quickly, what do you think of this, uh, Pumlani? Do you think that if we did have a major problem and if we did decide to take action, we even have a military that is capable of doing anything to stem the tide? Well, you know, <clears throat> the, 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 I, have, I don't have faith in our state security. Um, and the reason for that is it's already failing to, to protect us as local citizens. Right? When you see the levels of crime in the country, um, the levels of murder, you know, people being murdered per day, we have at least at least 58 murders per day in South Africa. Right? We rank in the top 10 in homicide rates globally. Right? So it's a very scary country. So we have a security system that, of, that fails to protect citizens. So now, suppose now we, are, we find ourselves in a terrorist kind of battle or fight, and we know these terrorists, um, they, have, they, they have nothing to lose, right? They sacrifice their lives, you know, for, for, for their cause. Mm. So faith uh, in, in our, in our in security system, I doubt would manage it. In fact, we already hear some stories that there are people in, within South Africa that are somehow linked to that group, right, to terrorists or sympathizers, right? Um, so, I mean, that's a big problem right there. And we don't see a campaign to root that out. We're not seeing it, which is a failure already. Uh, and my view, Gareth, is that with respect to what's happening in Mozambique, we have two options, right? One of them is to right now, as some people say, to send troops um, to, 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 dismantle or, to dismantle or crush the insurgency, right? And people say that the security experts say that you should do that as early as possible because over time, these insurgents will grow and will affect South Africa. But then that option, you, we must know that there will be reprisals, right? These people are going to retaliate, retaliate at some point, right? So it puts us, puts, puts us in danger. And then the other option is to say this is a Mozambican problem where the Mozambican government deal with it. We will strengthen. We will, you know, reinforce our security here at home, right? Um, so that's one. Or some people say, do do it both. Um, mm. But my view is that going in there right now um, and in an area that is, Cabo Delgado is in the north. It's not even yeah. in our borders right now. So for now, maybe let's focus on strengthening our security and making sure that the, our people so, who are there, they are safe and we bring them back home. And we know we, know we have the most porous borders. Um, I, I just, I just want to clear up because I know Pumi's reputation, <laughs> Pumi's reputation is more important on this show than mine. Um, it's, worth, it's worth saying that the, the Carl Niehaus story is, is, is bullshit. It's obviously fake news. It's an April Fool's thing, clearly, because the, the, the graphic that has been going around in social media is meant to be ENCA, but it says EANC, MKVA, Special Ops Team to tackle Mozambique rebels. So clearly they are mocking Colney House as well. So there we Gareth, go. Gareth, you could have let me ride with this. You could have <laughs> let me ride with this. People no. would be on like social media looking it up now. Now look at you. <laughs> Sorry, Pums. I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned with your reputation than you are this morning, clearly. All right. So. <laughs> So, so guys, Although, can I just say, Gareth, you remember a couple of months ago when we were speaking with Jean-Jacques Cornish about this? Mm. And 
and and and we did raise it and i said to you guys that the the problem with having so close to our borders and not having and and this is again the hollowing out of the state institution of south africa that's yeah. happened over the past couple of years is we we don't we no longer have the capacity a we don't have the standing anymore with even within the continent to be able to pull some muscle that is we, something needs to be done over here um but also we don't have the capacity internally our derco is useless mm. yeah. Who's that? Yes. Is that the I don't think she's a Durko anymore. No, no, it's not. It's Naledi Pando. Naledi's in charge of. It's Naledi Pando now. It's Naledi Pando now. But all of that, right? We have nobody there who is able to make a case, not just for South Africa, but for Mozambique too, because it doesn't have to be South Africa sending troops out there. There are global systems that can be called upon. But who is there to make those calls? Who is there to, to pick up the phone and have a conversation at, at the UN level, at the AU level for, mm. for these things to happen? And, and for South Africans, this is another situation we're going to find ourselves in, very similar to the quiet diplomacy we are let slide in Zimbabwe and look where that has landed South Africa, right? Because if our neighbors fail, if our neighbors fail, yeah. it has a direct impact that's true. Yeah. It's, a big, it's a big threat, a threat uh, for South mm. Africa. And I think right now it's the most important foreign policy issue um, that we'll need to deal with uh, as a country over the next, I don't know, year, two years. So it's guys, a very big one. let's just turn our attention even further afield. I mean, it is clear to anyone, even the most casual observer, that President Joe Biden of the United States is an adult, old dementia patient and there's no two ways about it his press conference last week was an embarrassment he was reading notes he didn't even know where in his notes he was there were prepared questions for prepared members of the very friendly press he stumbled and bumbled and mumbled he lost his way he started talking nonsense he he didn't even make a good impression on the things that he had prepared notes for do you think that very, very old people should not be allowed to run for office. I mean, it's a problem not only in America, it's a problem here in Africa too. We've got some very old people in power, and some of them are just hanging on for dear life and for life. Pumi, you take that one. <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, first. <laughs> I, uh, look, look, guys, America is very similar. The analogy between America and the ANC for me is. Um, quite amazing because america is also in that situation where it's slowly disintegrating the dna of the it's losing its standing in the world you know it's and it says a lot if the best politicians that they had the best person they had for the job against donald trump was joe biden Mm -hmm. and looking at the number of people that turned out Mm -hmm. to vote for donald on the one side who Mm -hmm. a lot of people have see him as a wrecking ball and on the other side to vote for joe biden it is that the giant is falling the american giant is Mm -hmm. also falling you know and it's the big i think it's the end of an empire that we're seeing and it's just a slippery slide now just a slippery slide just one yeah it's very close to the AZ. Yeah, it's interesting what you mentioned, Gareth. The the you say we see this even in Africa, where we have Africa is the youngest continent region in the world, um, and you have but the average age of leaders, who in many occasions have stayed for I don't know three de- decades in power, right? So I mean there is always this mismatch, and we have very old people uh, running the countries, and and uh, you know the the regions, the people are young themselves. Should we put some um, limitations on, on, should we, should we have, say, maybe if you are more than 60, you can't run or you can't be the president of the country? I think that would, <laughs> that would work, actually. I, you know, it's the first no, time. No, you can't put limitations. People must vote right. differently. People, there, there are two things. People must vote differently if that's how they feel. Mm-hmm. But secondly, then there must be people willing to stand for election. If young people are not standing for election, if young people are not there to be voted for to begin with, what, like, no, that's not how democracy works, unfortunately, mm-hmm. putting an age limit. 
Well, every, every, every democracy has its rules and, and uh, limitations, whatever you can call it. There are rules in a democracy. Mm-hmm. And the question is, should we have a rule that says if you are more than 60, uh, it's best you just retire and then youngish people, they run the, the country and move the country forward. You're going to have a situation like what Joe, the Joe Biden situation that we are facing right now in the U.S. and in Africa. Officials, what Gareth said. Young people, young people cannot wait to be given opportunities. If you want an opportunity, you stand up and you take it. Unfortunately, what we do have here in in South Africa and in Africa in general is young people are uninterested. Young people don't show up. Young people are not there to be voted for. Yeah, disengaged from politics for all the reasons that they have to show up. That we've already nobody's going to give you the space. No, that's exactly right. But I, I do think that that is that that is also as much as it's the fault as much as it's the fault of very old people who are running for office. And I do think you have to have the 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 wherewithal to be able to to know that at seventy five. I mean, sure, at sixty you've still got energy, you know. At seventy five, seventy five, seventy five. I mean, I wouldn't trust. And, I, mean, I wouldn't trust a seventy five year old with the. You know what a stressful job it is to be president. And Joe, Joe Biden is two years shy of 80. It's a very stressful job. So even if you're in great health, even if you're in perfect order and you've got enormous amounts of energy, um, there's just no way that yeah. you can maintain yourself in a, in a, in a role that is that complicated and that, uh, that's stressful. Being the U.S. president, Garrett, being the U.S. president, that's, that's, that's something else for someone as old as, as, as Biden and his sort of health issues. Yeah. He's already facing right now. So, I mean, I, and, I, and, and yet millions and millions of people went out and voted for him. Not because, it wasn't a surprise. It so, wasn't a surprise that the man is that old. And yet they yeah. showed up and voted for him. Well, that just, that just shows you how desperate those people, we've often discussed how they were more anti-Trump voters than they were pro-Biden voters. I mean, there's no way he's more popular and, than, and, there's no way he's more popular than Barack yeah. Obama was. He, he, he had a, 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 an absolute whitewash of Obama's best results because people were just so anti-Trump. Yeah, and also just one thing to to mention that you this you had you had big numbers of people who voted for him, you know, just because you have big, you had big numbers of people who voted for him, uh, millions and millions. I don't, it doesn't make it the right decision. Those people, I don't think, thought <laughs> things through properly. Um, you know, that's why that's how America America was founded on the basis that the, this thing of majority rule the winner takes on. Exactly, as weak as possible because, and the founders there were smart because they did foresee that the majority can just make stupid, um, you know, irresponsible decisions in many, many forms. The majority, and I think it was the majority, usually and yet, this do. is the democracy we have. Yeah, I this mean, is this is this is the democracy we have. It's a flawed system, sure. but it's exactly. You know, I like the word flawed actually. I think that's, I'm, that's I'm, often, I'm often reminded when it comes to popularity and to majority rule and people who say, Oh, well, if you know, nine out of ten people like something, it must be a good thing. You've got to remember that, hmm. that back in the 19, uh, 40s hitler received more fan mail than the beatles did in the 1960s put together you know the beatles and the rolling stones all of them individually and together you know that doesn't mean that hitler was a good guy just because a bunch of people thought he was cool back in the 1930s let's not be stupid about and, this and it doesn't mean that people made the right decision as if somehow we should attach this sensibility towards <laughs> the decision making that they chose hitler no it wasn't it was a stupid decision they made no they made the right crazy. decision for themselves they made the right decisions for themselves and what they wanted at the time it's the right decision for them mm. i think you know right stupid the, the, decision for themselves <laughs> <laughs> it was the right decision for them yeah. I'm afraid of guys. It worked for them. We have a right to be stupid, but we must call you out. So, all right, <laughs> let's just talk about one quick thing because we, we don't, don't have a lot of time left, and I do want to address this. So, 
borders. We just talked about our borders with Mozambique and how porous they are. So Joe Biden's biggest threat at the moment is his southern border. People are streaming across there. There's a humanitarian crisis unfolding. You remember how um, people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez were, were doing photo ops at what was expected to be the border, but turned out to be a parking lot where she was crying about all these poor immigrant children who had nowhere to live. We've got a real situation there because criminal gangs are being paid lots of money by desperate immigrants who want to get into the United States, and they are sending children across the border. It's created an enormous problem for the Biden uh, administration because they have nowhere to house these kids. Kids are often unaccompanied. If they are accompanied, we're not even sure if they're accompanied by their parents. Sometimes they're ferried across by these criminal gangs, and there's nowhere to put them. So they've got these child sort of care centers that's being run by the Department of Homeland Security. Um, the, these places are, there's no social distancing in them. They, they're sleeping under foil blankets. It looks really bad. But when Trump was president, they called this kids in cages and made a huge fuss of it. Now, of course, it's just, you know, accommodation for children. Something like 700 kids are put in a space that's meant to accommodate 100 kids. It's a real problem. Humanitarian crisis. Mm-hmm. That's what they're calling it. And in American terms, it yeah, probably it is. is. You know, yeah, is. anytime you see children, children on their own in, in these kinds of conditions, if your heart doesn't go out to them, then you just don't have a heart. Mm, yeah, no, you don't have a heart. Um, but I, I, I'm just, it's interesting that you've mentioned how, how different the media has sort of analyzed or described uh, the situation, um, how different it is uh, out of, from what they did to Trump. Was mm-hmm. Trump fa- also faced a similar pro- problem? And he was accused of, uh, you know, uh, putting together uh, cages, putting kids in cages, of which, by the way, those facilities were started by Barack Obama, started those facilities, right? It wasn't... Uh, Trump who started those. So it's, it seems to, it's been, these facilities have been a democratic idea, right? <laughs> because Obama started them. Yeah. Um, but there is the way the media has sort of been soft toward, toward Joe Biden, um, on, on the issue. And, 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 you know, apparently they've even, uh, Biden's administration has been reluctant to give access to journalists to many of these facilities, right? They've been blocking access and people have been asking, what are you hiding? Why can't we see what's going on there? So there have been limitations around the issue. And, um, you know, the media has been, has been soft. It shows how biased the media, the mainstream media is in the US. And a, a, a Washington-based friend of mine, who is a Republican, has, has called it, a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a democratic uh, propaganda machine. The media, <laughs> always. Well, what about? The- I mean, what about the the issue of of the fact that most of the reason that these people are crossing the border now in these numbers is because Joe Biden seems to be much more pro-immigration than Donald Trump was. He said, "If you come across the border, we will deport you." Stay in the country that you're in, and if you if you have a legitimate reason to be coming into the United States and you've gone through the process of trying to legally immigrate into America, we will accept you. But otherwise, you are not welcome. He was building walls. He was talking tough, and it seems to have worked. The Biden government has not talked tough, and now they are reaping this whirlwind. You've got to be careful what you say, right? There's a price for what you say. And in South Africa... We've had some horrible things being said. Let's just bring it home for a second. We've had some very xenophobic things being said, among them by Herman Mashaba, who we've discussed earlier in the show, among them by King Goodwill Zweletini, who died just a couple of of weeks ago. These are people who've said horrible things about immigrants. And yet in South Africa, there are still people willing to risk their lives to cross the Limpopo and its crocodile-infested waters and get here because there's more opportunity here than there is in neighboring countries. This is, this is something Gareth, and that's the we, thing. Have to, we have to consider. You know, we, we tend to look at immigration worldwide in an insular way. We look at it from the inside looking out. But what it really is about is, is really a failing in many, many different countries around the world of economics. Mm. With the, with, in South America, we all know, right? Mm. What are the biggest industries coming out of South America between the drugs and like 
some farming. And in fact, it's more profitable to be in drugs than it is to be in any other kind of industry. And the drug cartels run those Mm. countries. It's an economic failing. And what the economic failing has created is it's created this huge number of people who are essentially economic refugees all over the world. And they tend to go to the closest place that has some kind of opportunity that they can see, an opportunity to survive, an opportunity to earn, an opportunity to to thrive, as it were. That's yeah. what you are seeing. But well, when we look at it from the inside, looking out, we're kind of going, all these people trying to get into our country. Yeah, <laughs> but but it's because it's, it's because Zimbabwe was managed into the ground, and there are you know there are less immigrants. It's it's quite obvious there are less people who are trying to get into South Africa from let's say Botswana or Namibia, which are run reasonably well, than there are people who are trying to get in from Zimbabwe <clears throat> or Mozambique, which are run very very badly. And Lesotho. So then- yeah, and Lesotho. Yeah, so then, then what that what that tells you um, is that the leadership in those countries, not only in Africa, and and their policies, Pumlani, and their policies. I was about to go there. Public policy, economic policy, because we were talking about the bad economics in Pumi, but the bad economics didn't just come bad economics itself, right? It was bad economic that killed opportunity, killed economic productivity in those countries. Killed wealth creation. As a result, people they are flocking into neighboring countries that are better than theirs. It's a failure of leadership. Then, you know, economics. Well, listen, I'm afraid we're out of time, guys, but thank you both for your input today. The Burning Platform is brought to you every week by Nando's. We check in on all the important things in current affairs and the news and the stories that affect you and I. And I hope that we aren't getting to the point where you think that we're just talking about politics instead of talking about real people's lives and the differences that good or bad leadership can make. But I think this morning we've really traversed the entire spectrum of those conversations. However, if you have suggestions on what you'd like us to tackle next, if there is a particular guest that you'd like us to have, please let us know. Just email me, gareth at cliffcentral.com. And um, don't forget over this long weekend to go and get some nice food from Nando's because they really are the best in South Africa. They're a tremendous export. They're a very big success story in our story. And we need to support all of those people. Imagine if you've been running a little restaurant through lockdown, how difficult that's been. Um, Go out there and support these guys and also uh, support any other small businesses that you see because we do need to to get our local economy up and running again. There are just not enough jobs. There are just not enough people employing South Africans and people from all over the rest of this continent, frankly. We need to get out there and make a difference. Make that your job over the Easter weekend. Happy Easter, everybody. Uh, Pumlani, thank you so much. Pumi Mashiko, thank you so much. We will catch up with you guys soon. Cliffcentral.com